so often we use this word hope in such an extremely weak way. I, I say, I, I hope I feel better. I hope she likes me. I live in Montgomery, Alabama, and I say, I hope we have a white Christmas. I hope I don't overspend. I hope I'm able to shed the weight easy that I'm putting on. We all say hope that way. And it really, when you say hope that way, it, it's just wishful thinking. Uh, we, we even have wishful thinking uh, this morning. I, I might say, you know, I hope everybody shows up on time. Oh, come on in. We're just talking about you. It's all right. Come, come. There's nobody back there, guys. Don't worry about it, okay? I wouldn't do that. Or, or maybe you say on your end of things, I really hope we get out early today. My friends, that's wishful thinking. Uh, but, but, but in the Bible, hope means a confident expectation. It's so very different than that. It's that I believe and I know what is going to happen. And, and today I want to give you a working practical definition of hope. And here's what it is. Hope is a vision for better days that changes us in the present. Repeat after me. Hope is a vision for better days. Are you guys asleep in the dark? Let's try that again. Hope is a vision for better days that changes us in the present. It's not just about what's out there. It's what's out there that changes me right now. And it's so powerful. We know this. We know from studies of those who endured those concentration camps during that terrible Holocaust during World War II. The studies say the ones who are able to survive, the difference in them, the ones who didn't, was that they had a sense of hope in the future. I've told this story many times. I love it. After World War II, right after that, when we go to Germany, it's decimated. There's all these orphan children, and, and we're trying to put them in these orphanages, but, but they're, they're so battered and so upset because they haven't had food that they, they won't go to sleep. And so finally, we learned that if we just give them one slice of bread, not to eat, but to hold in their hand, it's that hope that says tomorrow morning there will be food. You, you understand the power of hope in everyday life. If, if you're in a really bad job and you don't think things are very good, if there's just an inkling of hope that you could get that promotion or you could get that better job. If you're in a marriage that's really struggling and yet you're starting to go to counseling and you think, you know what, there could be some hope here. If you're dealing with some kind of emotional issue, depression, anxiety, listen to this quotation from the people at Menmouth Meyer. The single most important, important ingredient in the treatment of emotional illness is hope. Hope is so powerful. And we know the opposite is also true. When you don't have hope, you're in trouble. When you lose hope about your finances, you get in despair. When, when, when you are in that job, but there's no chance for promotion, and you see no chance of going somewhere else, you become hopeless. When you're in that marriage where you think we've tried everything and, and nothing improves it, you know, we understand what hope can do to us. And we understand what it's like to live without it. Maybe it's your health issue, and it's just not getting better, and the diagnosis says it won't get better. And guys, this is why we need the Advent season. I want to talk about Advent in just a moment. 
Because that's not a word that we use very often. Advent is a word in Scripture or, or, or in history that simply means, go on to the next slide if you would, it means the coming, all right? Uh, it, it, it means the coming of a very notable person. And obviously, in the season we celebrate today, Advent is about not just the coming of any notable person, but the coming of the very Son of God. And that's why we need this season. And, and let me tell you something I've learned just studying over the last few months about Advent, because I, I didn't grow up using that word and not real familiar with it. I've heard it. But th- this coming is a celebration, uh, listen to this, of both the first and the second coming of Jesus. I understood this season was a, a celebration of, of Jesus coming on Christmas, but I'd not caught that it was also a celebration of that second coming. Why? Because those two things are powerful. My friends, there's a lot of babies born in Palestine. There's a lot of martyrs who die. But the difference in, in our hope and that hope is that our Savior did die, but he resurrected and he ascended, and he is coming back. Just as he has come, he is coming back. That makes everything different. It made it different for the people of Israel when they hoped for that first coming. I want to spend some time this morning in the book of Jeremiah, one of the, the great prophets of Scripture. And Jeremiah, if you read the first chapter, he was called to be a prophet probably when he was in middle school. But the sad thing about Jeremiah is he had a terrible message. Almost everything he said was doomsday, man. It's about to happen. In fact, we know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. How would you like that to be your tag? I, I, I would hate to be known. Oh, uh, who is Buddy Bell? He is the weeping preacher. You'd hate that. But that, that's what Jeremiah was known for because he had such a message of judgment and despair. Why? Because God's people were in a mess. They had a king named Jedekiah who was corrupt. And not, not just the, the government was corrupt, but the, the spiritual leaders were corrupt. The, the prophets were corrupt. And, and so what Jeremiah has to do is he comes and brings terrible news is that God is showing up and he's not happy. And, and there's going to be judgment to come on Israel. Now, now King Zedekiah actually believed that he could militarily win. And yet, Jeremiah comes to him and says, man, you got it wrong, dude. The problem here is not military. The problem here is not, you know, do you need more swords? The problem here is spiritual. Here's what's happened, King Zedekiah. Here's what's happened. Is, is you have walked away from God. This nation has committed adultery and forsaken God, and God's judgment is upon it. And so it's so bleak. But here's what I want to go to this morning. There's one section of Jeremiah, book chapter 30 through 33, known as the book of hope. In the midst of this terrible bleakness, maybe you feel that way about the world today, man. How could it get any darker? In the middle of that, Jeremiah has an amazing word of hope. Uh, if you have your Bible or phone, look at Jeremiah chapter 33. He begins to tell them. He's already told them about the destruction. He begins to tell them about the restoration. There's all kinds of verses like this. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste. 
without people or animal. I mean, Jerusalem's going to be so destroyed, nobody, no animals even will live there. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings in the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. In the middle of this bleakness, he says, God's coming back, and there's going to be a day when all of this is restored. There's going to be joy in the streets. What is more joyful than a beautiful wedding of a bride and a bridegroom? We celebrate that. He says that's going to happen once again. And then if you go down a couple verses to verse 14, he gives us the basis of this promise. And this is one of those prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll fulfill the good promise I've made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at this time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. Pay attention, this is so cool. Our Lord, our righteous Savior. He says, guys, I know it's terrible right now, but there's a day coming. That phrase, a day coming, is repeated over and over and over in the book of Jeremiah. It's pretty bad right now, but a day's coming, a time's coming, a day's coming where everything's going to be different. He says there's going to be a new David. You see, in their long history, the greatest king ever, despite his flaws, was David. And all the kings since them had been disasters. And so the promise is there's going to come a day where we're going to have a great king. It's going to be the new David. He will actually be perfect. He will be righteous. Now, the word righteous in Scripture is a relational term. It, what it means is to be in a right relationship with someone. And so a righteous person is someone who is in a right relationship with God. He says that's going to be restored. Now, what's really ironic in this story is that Zedekiah, the king, the corrupt king, his name actually meant the Lord is righteous. But there would only be one who would fulfill that name. And that will be the ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And my friends, it's this promise of the coming Messiah that keeps this small, weak, rather insignificant nation in history, Israel, full of hope. So today, let's talk about that. Hope is a vision for better days. Here's the two points we're trying to make today. I hope you get this. It's that definition we started with. Hope is a vision for better days that changes right now, okay? Because I've got this hope, my life's going to look different now. It's not just about what will happen. It's what that does to affect now. So let's start with the first part of that phrase. Hope is a vision for better days. Let me give you a few things here. Hope is about a promise. The day is coming. It's about these prophecies that one day everything's going to be good. And Jeremiah is chock full of prophecies. In fact, the, the whole Old Testament is. You know, when Jesus walked this earth and he wanted to prove he was divine, 
what he pointed to were the prophecies of the Old Testament that had been fulfilled specifically in his life. And, and so we see one of those prophecies here in this scripture is that he will be of the house of David. But actually, these prophecies started back in Genesis at the fall, that God says this Satan who's messed everything up in this fall will one day be defeated. And really, if you look at the uh, Old Testament Scripture, the prophecies are, are rather specific. I mean, think, think about this. There's prophecies that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, that at his birth he'll be presented with gifts, that the king around him will be so upset that he will kill the children. And, and then we have something no one expected. Everybody knew he'd be born in Bethlehem, but no one expected him to be raised in Nazareth. And, and these all pointed to Jesus. And so unlike man, what our hope is based on is a God who keeps his promises. Why? Because listen, if you have a promise from somebody, whether you believe it or not, is based on the character of that person. In other words, there may be some people who say to you, buddy, uh, I'll show up, I'll do this, I promise you that I'm going to help you there. And you go, yeah, man, their word is their bond, and if they said it, it's going to happen, Right? But do you have any other kind of people you know in your life, maybe acquaintances, maybe friends? And they go, I'll show up, I'll do it, I'll help you with that. And, and you know it really means very little at all because their word is not strong. Here's the great thing about Advent season and Christmas is the promises are based on a God who keeps his promise. So the next point is hope is about a person. It's not simply about this cool season. It's not about a new job, a better spouse, a bigger salary, a nicer home. It's not about what's going to happen or not happen in Washington, D.C. It's about Christ, the Messiah. Because it really scares me, the amount of us Christians who put our hope in misplaced people and things. You believe this one person is going to make you happy. You believe this one job could change everything. You believe just having your health or your finances you believe if we just could elect the right leaders, everything's going to be okay. My friends, all of those places are misplaced hope. It reminds me of the movie Lonesome Dove. There's a, a cowboy in there whose name is Gus. And he's got a friend cowboy named Jake. And, and Jake is trying to um, win over this woman and charm her and make promises to this woman named Lorena. But Gus knows too much about Jake. And so finally he comes to Lorena and says, listen to me. You got to listen closely. Jake is too leaky a vessel to put your hope in. He's just too leaky. And then he says what we all could be convicted about. But then again, all vessels are leaky. The truth is, if you put your hope in me, I'm leaky. If you put your hope in anybody or anything, it's leaky, except the one who's perfect. And that brings us to the next point. Our hope is about our perfection. You see, Jesus was perfect. You, you see, the, the easiest person I lose hope in, you know, I, I, can, I can become hopeless about certain situations, but my worst days, and you probably have them too, is, is when I lose hope in myself. When I think I've tried, I've tried, I want to be better, I want to do better, but I'm not. And that's why this promise of Jeremiah is so amazingly significant to our life. Because this person becomes our righteousness. In fact, look again to this description. 
The Lord, our righteous Savior. My friends, there's so much packed in those words. The Lord, he's God, our righteous, he actually did do everything right. He does have a perfect relationship with God. And he is our Savior. You say, how does that happen? Why can I be saved? Because he was so good. I'm so bad. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to become sin. That's what happened on the cross. He had no sin. He becomes sin so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the hope that we have is that Jesus changed places with us, and he took upon himself our sins and the greatest miracle of all times is he t- we take upon ourselves his righteousness. So, let's get the second part of our definition. So important. Hope changes us in the present. If we have this hope in the future, it will change us right now. It's a confident expectation that days are going to get better. You understand this? It could be as small a thing as going through life and knowing that you've got a vacation on the horizon. You ever notice that? If you, if you know it's three or four weeks out, there's something about knowing that's coming that makes you work better and be more pleasant and more joyful just knowing something's going to happen. And so, guys, when we have this hope, it changes. When we don't have it, it's pretty bad. I was reading this story this week about a small, charming New England village in Maine. And it was well-kept and beautiful, and people loved just to go there, just to visit there because it was so charming. But they got word years ago that the power company wanted to build a hydroelectric dam there. And the word was, when they dammed this up, the water is going to flood this small town, and so you need to prepare to be relocated because it's all going to be submerged. Now, here's what happened. This well-kept charming little New England town began to be in terrible disorder and disrepair. And someone asked a resident one day how this could happen, and here's what he answered. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no work in the present. You understand that? No hope in the future, there's no work in the present. And so that town was transformed in a terrible way. Now, we in this area have seen something quite the opposite. Many of you who grew up here remember when Pike Road was simply a post office in the middle of nowhere. No one thought of Pike Road as being a city. Certainly no one even thought about it as being a town or even a village. It was just this post office where you got this zip code where your mail went through. But we have seen over the last years an amazing transformation as it became a city And then especially when they established a school system. Simply the hope of a good, solid school system exploded this town right east of us. Even though it was not even even connected, it was all these different lots put together in this odd configuration. Just that hope, it transformed it. And guys, when we begin to believe that things can be better, It transforms us in the present. Let me give you a couple things here. Hope fills you with joy and peace. It's the joy of knowing there's something good coming around the corner. It's the peace that that promise is based on God. 
It's the peace that allows Jeremiah in a dungeon, locked up, to cling to better days coming. It's the peace that allows Paul and Silas in another jail with their life threatened to sing praises to God. It's a peace that says to you and I, no matter how bad life is, I can still have a sense of joy and peace because I know what's going to happen. And then the next point is hope frees you to live fully and to risk boldly. I love those words. To live fully and to risk boldly. Think about this. What does hopelessness do? I mean, if you get hopeless about school or hopeless about marriage or hopeless about yourself or hopeless about church, you name it. When we become hopeless about something, the automatic response is to shut down. I shut down. Maybe someone's hurt me, and I don't want to be hurt again. And so what I do is I shut down. I won't open myself up to anybody again because I might get hurt. And so I want to avoid the pain by shutting down. I don't want to go to work and give it my all because last time I did, nobody noticed. I, you know, I don't want to give it all to my marriage because last time I noticed, my spouse didn't respond. But here's the problem. When you shut down pain, you also shut down pleasure. Because pain and pleasure travel on the same neurological path in your brain. And to shut down one is to shut down the other. But when you know that there's hope, you're able to risk that relationship because one day you know you'll be in perfect relationships. You're able to risk stepping out for God because you know he'll bless you. And this hope says to you, what Jesus said is, hey, guys, here's what I've come. I've come to bring you life and bring it to the fullest. Because we have this hope of the future, we are able to engage in life here like nobody else. There's something really cool that happens in Jeremiah. If you read Jeremiah 32, where he's in the middle of this bleakness and these promises, Jeremiah does something that anybody that was logical would say is crazy and risky. There was a plot of land that came for sale in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah purchases it. Now, here's the guy that's saying the Babylonians are coming. Everything's going to be destroyed. This place is going to be flattened. I mean, he knows that there is a day coming where this land that he's purchasing with hard-earned money is going to be worth nothing. But he does it anyway because he knows there will be a restoration one day where it will be worth everything. And so here's what happens in the book. It's so so neat. Jeremiah signs the deeds, puts them in sealed jars, very similar to what happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that lasted for hundreds of years because Jeremiah knows in the middle of this bleakness that better days are coming. And because of that, he's able to risk. And my friends, when we know that better days are coming, you're going to be willing to risk the price of love. You're going to be willing to stick with somebody when everything says you shouldn't. You're going to be willing to share your faith at school or work where you might get rejected. You may be willing to go to a mission field where your life may be threatened. Because when you have hope, you risk fully. So, let's say this. Let's go back to our definition. And I want to complete it. Hope is a vision for better days, all right? That changes us in the present. 
that's why what we're doing these next four weeks is so important. It's not just we're going to have a cool little nice Christmas time. It's if we buy into this story, it'll change the way you live January 1st. So hope is a vision for better days that changes in the present. Here's the line I want you to add to our definition, though, because this makes it something you can build your life on. Based on what God has done in the past. It's hope for the future, changes the present, based on what God has already done. It is not wishful thinking. That's why we need Christmas. Because we know that there was a point in history where history is divided where God broke into history as a baby. We believe that. And so it's not far-fetched for you and I living in this in-between time to also believe that this same Jesus who came is coming again. We're not just having some nice spiritual wishful thinking. It's based on historical fact. And so that's why Christmas is important. Now let's talk about this for a moment. But there's a danger in Christmas because when everybody's giving these great gifts and people are spending money like crazy, if you don't have much, you're reminded that you don't have much. And while everybody's posting these beautiful, perfect pictures of their family on Facebook and your family's all messed up, it reminds you that you don't have much and this, it's not holding together. And while everybody else is celebrating and you feel depressed, in fact, people say, studies say, Depression gets worse during Christmas, and actually the suicide rate goes up. That's the danger as we enter this season. That's what's so important about what we're talking about today. Because if we celebrate correctly, what Christmas should do is remind us of what we do have. We have a righteous Savior. And remind us of what we will one day have. It's the first coming that says to us something really good is going to happen. It's like, you ever, you ever done this for your children? They're, they're, they're just so excited about Christmas, you know, and, and they're so excited about their gifts. You know, in, in your tradition, is you, you open all the gifts on Christmas morning, but you finally break down and you say, okay, guys, tonight we're going to let you open what? One gift. We want you to open one gift, and man, that's going to excite you about what's going to happen tomorrow morning. It's that one gift that's the tease gift that says, there's a whole lot more coming tomorrow. And my friends, the birth and the first coming of Jesus is the spiritual tease gift to us that says, you know what? Things are better because he came. I've got some hope, and I've got some peace, and I've got some happiness, and I've got some joy, and I've got more love. None of it's perfect, but it's the tease gift that says, you know what? He's come once, and he's going to come again, and when he comes again, everything will be perfect. So this morning, as we enter this season, we're about to have a time of prayer. And I want to invite all the elders and their wives that are here to come surround the stage and all the ministers and their wives that are here to to please go to the back because we want you to feel comfortable going. So come on up if you would. And here's what I want to say during this time of prayer. We're not asking you to write something on a card. We're not asking you to get up here and say it publicly. We're just asking you to go to these people who shepherd your soul and say, you know what, um, wow, uh, here's my name, and here's where I feel hopeless. Because what, what, what frightens me as we begin this season 
Could you guys applaud the elders for really getting around the stage well? I mean, that is... <laughs> First service, you don't know how long it took us to get them in place, okay? This is, this is awesome. Um, so, as, as they're here, and, and people in the back, if you're more comfortable there... We invite you just to go and say, Here, here's, man, I feel hopeless about my finances or about my marriage or about school or about my future or you name it because we've got a great message to share today. We've got great things to pray about based on the coming of Jesus. If you're suffering from addiction today, the message that we bring you is that hope is on the way. If you come to church like the lady I met in first service who's depressed, the message is hope is on the way. If you're struggling with some bad health issues, hope is on the way. If you are all upset because of infertility, hope is on the way. Help me out here, guys. If you're struggling with finances, what do we say to you? Hope is on the way. If you come to church today in this big crowd lonely, guess what? Hope, say it, hope is on the way. If your job is not a place you enjoy going, listen to me, say it with me. Hope is on the way. If you've lost a loved one over the last year and that place is going to be empty at your table, let me say this to you, because of the coming and second coming of Jesus, say it with me. Hope is on the way. If you're single and tired of being single, say it with me. Hope is on the way. If you're married and tired of being married, say (laughs) Say it with me. Hope is on the way. If school is bearing down on you, hope is on the way. If you're struggling with a sin that you can't seem to conquer, hope is on the way. If despite all the efforts you've made to grow more spiritually, you still think you're stuck, hope is on the way. And his name is Jesus. The Lord, the righteous Savior. So if we could pray for you today while we sing this wonderful song about hope in Christ alone, come to one of us today and let us pray for you.